Welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Robert Fonseca. All right. Well, open up your Bibles. It's the last book of the Bible, so it should be easy to find. Uh, Chapter 1 to the book of Revelation. Uh, This morning we're going to read through verses 1 through 8, but before we do that, uh, I think it's always important to talk about introductions, right? Whenever you read a book, for those of you that read, like myself, you might want to read the introductions. Introductions are important to books that you're reading. Right? They can tell you uh, how you're going to traverse through a particular book, especially if it's a nonfiction book. You know, There's like different ways that authors write books and for different purposes. They also tell you what to expect in the book right? so that you don't just open up the book and like, well, I'll figure it out as I go. I know it's helpful to like kind of get your bearings about, hey, what's this book going to be about? So I know where we're going. As I was thinking of that, I remember a book that I read to uh, my oldest children when they were a lot younger, not now in their 20s. But when they were little, uh, Josiah and Alyssa, and the the introduction to chapter one always just was amazing to me because it actually did what it said it was going to do. And I wasn't expecting it. It's a children's book. It should be good stories. And this one went on to be like multiple volumes or books, and I couldn't read it because it was just too much. Uh, But let me read you the first few lines. And those of you that uh, were, I don't know when this book was written. I'm going to keep you in suspense for a few moments. It was written in, I don't know, 1999. So that's how old it is. But it was very popular in the early 2000s as well. It starts off like this. If you're interested in stories with happy endings, you'd be better off reading some other book. Does anybody know what this is yet? In this book, not only is there no happy ending, there is no happy beginning, and very few happy things in the middle. This book is the beginning of a series of unfortunate events that I read to Alyssa and Josiah. And I think I only read like two books because I couldn't take all the badness in the book. There was nothing, there was no happiness in that book except for when I put it down and stopped reading it. That was it. Well, this morning we're going to look uh, at a book that has happy endings, by the way, the book of Revelation. And the reason I talk about introductions is because the first chapter is an introduction to what's going to unfold, what the Lord is trying to speak, particularly, as we'll see, to the seven churches in Asia Minor and by extension to the church universal. And so let's go ahead and and read this, and then I'll come back and explain it. So this week is really going to be an introduction, but we will have some application, as you'll see. And we'll probably be doing introductions as we come to different sections throughout the book, because this book is just in need of a lot of explanation. Uh, And so, which is why there's so many different verses, or so many different versions of interpretation of this book. And so uh, we'll allow God's word to uh, lead us through our interpretation of it this morning. So let's read. Verses one through eight say this, the revelation of Jesus Christ, 
which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to testify, excuse me, and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us, and redeemed us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. We'll stop right there. This is more than enough for us to tackle this morning. There's a lot being said in this little introduction to Revelation. Right from the very beginning, even by the title of the book, it is called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Some of your translations may say the apocalypse of Jesus. Of Jesus, Apocalypse is the Greek word or the Greek translation of the word revelation. Apocalypse means an uncovering of something hidden. Right? The making of something, the making known of what we cannot ourselves know. That's why we call this the unveiling or the uncovering or some people will call it. It's a revealing of something to the churches. An apocalypse, if you think about that word, this word expresses two things that we're going to look at this morning. It expresses the subject matter. Right? We're going to look at an apocalypse, so we'll discuss that more. And it, ex it expresses the nature of the book, the type of book that we're going to read. It's an apocalypse. That was a popular type of literature in the first century. We don't have much apocalyptic liter literature being written today, so it's hard for us to get a grasp, an easy, under an easy understanding of what that means. And so I'm going to do my best this morning to try to explain that and along the way as we go through this book. So in regards to subject matter, right, an apocalypse is defined as a great disaster. I always think of that book, I mean, the, a movie that I never saw as a young kid because I was, it probably wasn't good for me. It was called Apocalypse Now. Does anybody remember that? It's a war movie, right? It's a great disaster, right? And an apocalypse in particular an associate, is associated with the end of the world, right? When something bad happens, oh, it's an apocalypse. They're saying it's the end. And apocalyptic literature really usually dealt with end times, the end of the world. 
And in the, con in the context of this book of the Bible, we're talking about the last day of God's plan or God's last plan during the last days for the church. So the book of Revelation is an unveiling of the plan of God for the history of the world, especially the church. Right, so this book was written to us, as, as we'll see in a few moments, about, again, God's redemptive plan throughout history. Now, I had mentioned that the apocalypse expresses the subject matter, right? So, and it expresses the nature of the book. Again, the type of book that we're going to read. So let me say a little something about apocalyptic literature that will help us in understanding and interpreting this book properly. As I mentioned, apocalyptic, uh, apocalypse is a form of literature, and it's a, it's a subset of prophecy, right? So it's prophecy, but it's not doesn't work the same as prophecy. And again, we're... I'm not going to sit here and go through all the specifics, but we'll point those things out as we go through the book. So just know an apocalypse is a subset of prophetic literature. And as I mentioned, it's, it's always in relation to uh, eschatology or the end times. Apocalyptic literature, we must know, is given, in a, is given to us in a supernatural perspective about events taking place. So it's, it's given us to us from from like a heavenly scene or how God sees things or how spirits interpret things. Again, this is why I call it an unveiling, right? It's like the Lord is peeling back what's happening behind the scenes that we cannot see. And as we go through this, we'll see that we can't even communicate properly the images that are given and visions to John. So it's a behind the scenes look at what the Lord is doing or has done or will do, right? Apocalyptic literature also uses symbols to convey its message, right? So we'll get, as we go through this, a lot of imagery, a lot of numbers. As I've read already, there were numbers already mentioned, and we'll talk about that as well in a few moments. And apocalyptic literature also has a strong sense of dreams and visions, as we go through this, the Apostle John will be getting visions or dreams of things that he is supposed to communicate to the church. Let me give you just a few examples of this. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. I think this is a, a great example of imagery being used or visions and dreams being used by the, the Apostle to convey a message. So in Revelation 12, I'm going to read just verses 1 through 4 just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about. It says this, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, bringing a being in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared. So see, now there's a second sign. In heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And, a t and his tail swept a third of the stars of heaven and threw them into the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. So you can see here is a, a dream or a vision, a heavenly vision given to. John the Apostle, and he is 
communicating that to the church. Drop down to verses 7 and 9, just to give you another example of the same chapter. He says, and there was a war in heaven. Again, he's seen heavenly visions, heavenly messages. Michael and his angel waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who was called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. He gives us a little bit of interpretation there. But again, the point of me reading that was just to give you an idea of this is the type of thing that was given to John, these visions, these dreams, and he's communicating them to us. And it's up to us, again, to use the introduction of, hey, this is uh, apocalyptic imagery, apocalyptic literature to interpret these things. But note that Revelation is not just apocalyptic. It is also prophetic as well. And it is also a, an epistle or a letter because it was written to a particular audience, if you noticed. All three of those things are mentioned in the first eight verses that I read, that it's apocalyptic, it's prophecy, and it is epistle because it's written to a specific church or specific people. In verses 4 through 8, as we'll see in a few moments, it sounds like one of the Apostle Paul's letters, right? There's an introduction of grace and peace, and then a praising of God. And as we go through the rest of the chapter next week, you'll see the actual message that the Apostle is going to convey. So, Revelation is a, a pop, uh, apocalyptic in its subject matter and in nature of the book, the way that we are kind of given parameters of how to interpret Scripture or this particular book. Now, going back to the very first sentence, this is a revelation of what? Of Jesus Christ. Now, this is not an unveiling of Jesus, but it is something that Jesus is unveiling to us. Right? If you look at the, the transfer there, it's God giving Jesus, this heavenly, uh, this revelation, and then Jesus gives it to an angel, and then the angel gives it to John, and then John gives it to the seven churches. There is this transfer of, of, this, of this information from the heavenly down to the earthly. Again, it's an unveiling of God's heavenly plan for the last days, again, which are given to Jesus and then to an angel and then to John, and then to the seven churches in Asia. So again, John is going to reveal these symbolic pictures through visions and dreams. If you see in verse 2, John says that, look at what it says at the very end. He says, and speaking of John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So this message that is shown to him, that is communicated to him, he is going to pass it along to the churches. If you skip down to verse 19 of chapter 1, the very end, the, the Lord says to John, Write therefore the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which shall take place after these things. So he's writing down all that he's seen. Also note that Revelation was communicated, as I mentioned, 
by an angel to John. And that word communicated, depending on your translation, can also say to show or to signify. It is a word related to the word sign. These are signs that the Apostle John is getting. right? And they alert us to pay attention to signs, to symbolic imagery. Again, this is the nature of the visions. For this is how the message is unveiled, right? Verses 2 and 19 tell him that he saw these things and he, and he recorded them. And he's told to write these things down. There's also another significance in this. There's this transfer that this is a message from God. And it's so important. It came from the throne room of God and was given down to John so that he can reveal to this churches God's plan and to ensure that God is going to accomplish it. This is God's plan. This is how God is going to unfold redemptive history throughout the church age. And so John can be assured that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. We also need to note in that very first sentence that he, he says, I'm giving you this plan, right? And these things must shortly take place. This, this is very important and a key to our interpretation of this, right? Because this word has been interpreted many ways, right? If you take it in a literal sense, this redemptive plan that is given to John is going to take place shortly. Does it mean shortly? Well, let me just say a few things about that. See, this is an exaggerated expression of eminence, that it's not going to happen shortly, but that it's, it's a necessarily, it's going to come. It's simply coming or that it is actually already here. It is upon us. It's taking place now. It's the same type of phrase, a similar phrase, I should say, that Jesus used to describe his inauguration of the ministry of his kingdom. If you, uh, you could turn with me to the book of Mark or just listen to this. It's just one verse, Mark chapter one, verse 15. Jesus uses a similar type of phrase, not the exact same one, in Mark 1.15. And he says this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Or you could say the kingdom of God is near. Right? Repent and believe in the gospel. Again, this phrase is similar to what is said to John 1.3. So John is telling the Asian believers that the end times have arrived. Right? This eschatological time is here. It's here during the time of his writing. You might say, well, hey, what do you mean end times, right? When we think of end times, more than likely you think of the time leading right up to the Lord's return. And I would say, yes, that includes that time as well. The scriptures tell us when the end times are coming or when they started. And let me give you just two examples of this. And again, this helps us with our understanding and interpretation of this book. Turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 14 through 21. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 14. If you remember, this is the time of uh, the... Uh, uh, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit had come upon believing men and women, and they had begun prophesying in foreign tongues. And the crowd there thought that these people were drunk. 
And the apostle Peter answers them and explains to them what exactly is happening at this time. In verse 14, it says, But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them. So these are the people that are given this false accusation. Men of Judah, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. He's saying they're not drunk. It's too early in the morning. So what is it then? Verse 16 says, but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. So he's going to interpret the signs or what is happening right now to the people that are listening. And here's the interpretation of what is happening at Pentecost. He says, and it shall be in the last days or end times. God says that I will pour out my spirit upon all mankind and your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even upon my bond slaves with both men and women. And I will in their days, in those days, pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will, grant wonders, I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth beneath blood and fire and vapors of smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What was he talking about here? He's saying these, this signifies the end of the age. These are the last days. This was prophesied by Joel, and the last days have begun at the very be- at Pentecost, or really they were inaugurated when Christ came. Let me give you another example of that in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 1. Turn there with me, or write them down and look it up later. Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 1. This is significant as well as to cluing us in when to the last days have started. Hebrews 1 says, God, after he spoke long ago to the forefathers of the prophets, or in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, look at verse 2, in these last days, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, to whom also he made the world. So he's saying the last days began when Christ came. In these last days, when Jesus started speaking to the prophet or to the apostles. So he's saying the last days have started. They were inaugurated by Jesus Christ and they will culminate in his second coming. And so this, going back to our text now in Revelation chapter 1, he's saying this is what's going to happen. This is taking place now. This must take place now. The end times have begun. And this is a message that's important for the church to know in Asia and by extension us as well. Now, verse 3 of Revelation 1 says this. This is a, it says, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it for the time is near. There's a blessing in Revelation. It says the blessing is on the person who reads the prophecy. In the first century, they didn't have scriptures like we do, right? They didn't have, you know, the Old Testament in the front pews of the first church of Smyrna. They didn't. 
they had probably one letter that they read in the church. So there was a reader in the church. Somebody stood up at the front of the church or in the home, wherever they were, and read the entire book of Revelation, which probably took a few hours, I'm sure, to read it. And there's a clue in this letter that this person, this letter was to be read, actually, as we'll see, to all the churches in Asia, the seven churches. So it went from one church to the other, to the other, to the other, and they read this book. We are blessed to live at a time where we have a proliferation of scriptures, of Bibles. You have the Bible on your phone, right? You have a Bible, you know, hopefully you still read a uh, real Bible, but that's okay if you don't. You ha- the point is, is it's available to us. Shame on us if we don't take the opportunity to read it. Here, there's a blessing on, pronounced on the reader. And more importantly, there's a, ble- there's a blessing on those who hear the words and heed these words. The blessing's not just because you, you read it or hear it, but on those who keep it, heed it, those who do it. Heed means to keep, to do. It's a, it's a requirement or expectation. So when this was read in the churches, there was an expectation of some type of response. An immediate response, he says. Why? Because at the end of verse 3, he says, For the time is near. Like, blessed are you if you begin to keep these words. For the end time is here. It is upon us. I think of an example of you standing, I think of, actually just happened, I think this just happened a week ago, that big tidal wave, the big wave that was in, uh, on the beaches here locally. I was watching a video and there were people like shooting videos and all of a sudden this tidal wave just comes on shore and then the people start turning and running. But there's an immediate response to this tidal wave. If you just stand there, you're going to get wiped out. You're going to be taken down. And those who paid attention to the sign of this big wave turned and ran and got out of the way. In a much more significant way this morning, the scripture speaks to us to heed the words of this prophecy. Shame on us if we don't. As a matter of fact, throughout the book of Revelation, that message is going to go on and on. There is a warning, first an encouragement to believers, and then a warning to those who are thinking of apostatizing or falling away. Those who are struggling, this is the message of revelation to the church. In verse 4, we get to the epistle part of of uh, of the introductions. So let's look at that. Here, John writes to the seven churches that are in Asia. And those would be the churches, as we'll see in chapter 2, of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. These are the seven churches that this letter is addressed to. The question is, why just seven churches and why these in particular? Were there not more churches at this time? And why does he address it to these seven? Was there something going on in those that was important that needed to be addressed? Well, as I mentioned, these churches were in need of encouragement, as we'll see when we get to chapter 2. Right? They're living in a hostile world. They're living in a time of great persecution or tribulation, I would say. And they need to be encouraged. They need to be encouraged to persevere. 
Again, some of these uh, congregants in these churches, as we'll see, they were in danger of abandoning their faith or compromising their faith. But as they see the world around them crumbling, as they see persecution intensify in the church, they're wondering, what is going on? And again, here, this is an unveiling of God's redemptive plan. He's going to tell them this was, as we'll see as we go through this book, that this is part of God's plan. God told us these things were going to happen. And so they need to know that, and they need to know that, you know what? The Lord is victorious through these things. We just sung a song a little while ago that we know how the story ends, right? These churches needed to know how the story ends, right? We have this hindsight of having the scriptures with us, and we know it. They did not. So they needed to hear that message, but why seven? Well, seven is a symbolic number. Right? We need to pay attention to the numbers that are given in the book of Revelation. And we find our interpretation of those numbers from the Old Testament. Right? Seven, again, is a symbolic number which indicates completion or perfection or fullness. I mean, think of there were seven days of creation. God rested on the seventh day. Israel circles Jericho how many times? Seven. And on the seventh day, what happened? The wall fell. Priests dipped their fingers in blood or oil, depending on the circumstances in Leviticus, seven times. There's a significance to that number. In the book of Revelation, we'll learn of the seven spirits of God, seven trumpets, seven bowls, seven seals, seven lampstands, Seven stars, seven horns, seven mountains. This is just one example of one number. But all these represent in some sense a completeness or perfection or fullness. So these churches are believed, to, this is like the fullness of the message given to the church, the complete church. Whether it's a meaning about just the ones in Asia or there could, there's an argument for that it's the church universal. As we get through the letters, we'll see that. And that's my interpretation and understanding that these churches were literal churches. They were seven literal churches that were representations for the church universal, the message that's given to them. And so that's why there's seven. And so what's the beginning message to these churches as they're going through and, and facing these hard times? Well, it's a message that begins with the wave of encouragement. And we see that in verses 4 all the way down, it's really through the rest of the text, through verse 8. You see, they were greeted with a customary grace and peace from God the Father, right? God's the Father, and the Holy Spirit, and Jesus, right? The seven spirits, or we don't have time to go into that, I believe is a representation of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. They are reminded that Jesus is a faithful witness, Right? So what he's going to unveil to them can be trusted. They're reminded that Jesus rose from the dead, meaning Jesus is alive. And you too will rise because he's the firstborn from the dead. And then they're reminded that Jesus is the ruler of all the kings of the earth. They are living under a Roman king right now who's probably uh, persecuting them in some sense. And John is letting them know, you know what, you guys... Know this, that Christ rules all the kings of the earth. 
Jesus has ultimate sovereignty over all the things that are happening to you. And they're reminded that Jesus loves them. I like that. He says, to him who loves us, in verse 5, and release us from our sins. They're no longer held bondage to their sins. They're no longer in debt to the penalty of their sins. Again, this is the opening of the letter. He's explaining to them how blessed they are. And he reminds them that ultimately they are part of the kingdom of God. Look at verse 6. And he made us to be a kingdom. Like we're a kingdom. We're already a kingdom. It's already happening. The kingdom of God is here. And he reminds them that they are priests of God. That they are servants of God. Again, verse 6. He made us to be a kingdom and priests. The apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2.9 says that as well to them, to the churches, I should say. Remember in 1 Peter 2.9, he says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous night. See, this is who you guys are. You are already in the kingdom of God, and you are already servants of God and priests. And because of all this, the Apostle Paul concludes verse 6 with the doxology, which just means it's a short praise or a hymn praising God. And he says, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Because of all these things that we've already have. And already that the churches have in Asia Minor. And these are worthy to praise God for. And the basis of this encouragement that he gives them is, is found in the next two verses is because Christ, the king, will return in victory. Again, he says, behold, he is coming with clouds and everyone will see him and even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Even so, amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. He's saying Guess what, guys? We have this already. The kingdom of God has started, and God is going to culminate it when he returns. We don't have time to go into the Old Testament verses, but I would encourage you to look at Daniel 7.13 and Zechariah 12.10, which is what the Apostle Paul is quoting here in verse 7. He's pulling from these two verses this imagery from Daniel and Zechariah that God is victorious, that he's coming back for us. He's going to establish his kingdom. Again, this is a common theme of God's end time defeat, right? God is going to defeat the enemies of his people, and he's going to come back in a final victory. And we'll see this over and over again in the letter from uh, the Apostle Paul in this revelation. So we need to bring this to a quick end here uh, because of time's sake. So what can we take from this short introduction in Revelation? Well, we could take two things. There's some blessings unveiled to us in Revelation, right? And the emphasis is found in verse 3 about heeding God's plan. And number one is this you will have great joy and peace in the midst of tribulation. Why is that? How can we have peace and joy in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of 
all the things that are going on in our world. Again, this is the message to the church in Asia, but it's also a message to us today. And it's this, the reason you can have great joy and peace in the midst of tribulation is because you live in accordance with God's plan. You live in accordance with God's plan, right? Because you're following God, God promises, right? For you to be blessed, meaning happy or joyful, even in the midst of tribulation or trials. In the book of Psalms, we're, we're, I'm going to give you just a couple uh, cross-references that talk about blessings like that. In Psalm 1, the psalmist starts off, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Because you live in accordance with God's plan, you will be joyful or happy in the midst of what is going on. And then again in Psalm 128.1, going along the same, the same lines with this blessing, the psalmist writes, How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Again, this is talking about keeping God's laws, living in accordance with God's laws. Because you're on God's plan, you're going to be joyful and have peace in the midst of tribulation. More importantly than that, though, I think is that you have a heavenly perspective on earthly activity. Again, Revelation is going to give us the heavenly perspective on earthly activity. And again, sticking in, in the Psalms, Psalm 119, verses 97 through 100, says this as well. He says, oh, how I love the law. I meditate. I, it is my meditation all the day. Thy commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditations. I understand more than the age, because I have observed thy precepts. I think this builds upon, because you understand what God is doing, you have that heavenly perspective on what is going on in the world. You can find joy and peace in that. And again, this is the message of Revelation. God is going to show the church what is happening throughout the church age and how you can be joyful because of it, how you can be strengthened because of it, which is my next point. You can have strength to endure in the midst of tribulation. Again, this is the message to the seven churches of Asia. Hold on. You're going to see this over and over again. This is going to be a theme running through this series Hold on in the midst of tribulation. Endure. Why? Because you already know that God is in control of all things. This plan is unfolding the way God has determined it to unfold. God's will is going to be accomplished in this world. And guess what? You know how the story ends. Jesus is coming back and he will reward your faithfulness. This is the message over and, again, over and over again. And it is voiced perfectly as we look at this one last verse in the book of James 1.12. And I'll close with this. He says, blessed, there's that word again. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, 
which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Again, this is the message of Revelation. Hold on. Hold on and endure in the midst of tribulation because the Lord is coming back and he's going to reward you. This is God's plan. These things that are happening aren't taking anybody off guard. Trust the Lord and hold on and you'll be rewarded in the end. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for this letter that you've given and preserved for the church. For it is a message that is really timeless, Lord. For we live in a hostile world even today. And that varies depending on where we live and what is going on in our lives. But the message is the same. Lord, you're in control of all things. And as we stay close to you because of what you've done and what you've given us, Lord, we could find joy and peace in the midst of tribulation. And Lord, we can know that one day you will return and you will reward those of us who endure, those of us who hold on, those of us who turn from apostatizing from the faith or compromising our faith. Lord, this is the message that you've revealed to the churches in Asia. And this is a message that you've revealed to us this morning as well. Help us, Lord, as we cling to you. Help us to hold on to you because of who you are, what you've done, and what you are going to do. And so we pray this now in Jesus' name and thank you. Amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.